this film has been modified from its original version. It has been formatted to fit this screen. Welcome to Syndicated Cinephiles. Welcome to Syndicated Cinephiles. I am your host, Madeline Cook. Welcome to our very first episode, and I want to welcome my guest, my very first guest, Stanley Swindling. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be on this podcast. <laughs> um, I'm so happy that you're the first guest because like, I, you were there when this kind of was created. Do you remember this? Oh, really? No, I I probably do somewhere in the you know, annals of my mind. But It, it was the night we went to um, a show at the Elysian together and we were standing in line. And that was the genesis? Yeah. We started talking about this topic of like movies we've seen a million times on TV. And maybe I said something at the time of like, that should be a podcast. But like, you were there. It really should be. And I really was. Yes. yes. How exciting. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So. It's an honor. Truly. <laughs> um, okay. To give you a little intro to what this podcast is supposed to be. This podcast is about movies that you've seen a million times because they were on TV at some point during your childhood or coming of age. Um, hence syndicated things you've seen a bunch because they were syndicated on cable or premium TV or what have you. So Stanley, what was your selection today? Today I picked the 2003 samurai action film Kill Bill Volume 1 directed by a little guy named uh, Quentin Tarantino. Oh, what a beautiful intro to that film. (laughs) You came locked and loaded for that. I was ready to go, yeah. (laughs) Now, Stanley... What movie did I think you were referencing at first when I asked you what movie you were picking? So for some reason, when we were discussing this, I decided to be cutesy and cryptic via text. So I said, is it okay if I pick a movie that's a part one? And you said, yeah, of course. What movie are you picking? And I sent a gif of (laughs) (laughs) the uh, Kung Fu Warrior in part two of Kill Bill. Um, No no relation to part one, um, but a gif I thought would suffice. It did not suffice, and um, Madeline mistakenly chose to watch the first 20 minutes of The Karate Kid. Yes, I want to be clear with exactly how this went down, because I, you said, is it okay if it's a two-part film? I said, sure, just pick one part. I said, is it The Godfather? And you said, nope, think. And then the emojis you sent were oh, correct. I Japanese did send- <laughs> flag, blonde woman, which to your credit, yeah, um, a, a emoji of a karate uniform, chains, and a fist punching. And I said, karate kid? And then to I thought you sent an image of a man nodding. Right, correct. Because he's like nodding in the gif. <laughs> if I had even sent, you know, Uma Thurman, like I, literally any other character from Kill Bill, it might have come across. Or I could have just said, no, I chose Kill Bill Volume 1. <laughs> that Either of those would have been actual responses to your messages, but instead, my brilliant self chose to say nothing <laughs> yeah so uh so last but I hope night you enjoyed yeah the first the first 20 minutes of karate kid are good can confirm i bet and as during the first 20 minutes i was like this is an interesting pick for stanley like i didn't peg him as like a karate kid fan <laughs> i don't know um i don't know why you picked this movie but um so i got to see the first 20 minutes and it was great but Thank God you texted me 20 minutes in and said, wait, 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 no. (laughs) Right. Mortifying, but um, glad we could save it. Yes. Um, So let's uh, let's set the stage for Kill Bill Volume 1. Do you remember like the first time you saw it on TV? Roughly how old you were? Yeah, I wanted to pick this one specifically because I feel like with Quentin Tarantino, you want to watch his movies at a very specific time Mm -hmm. as a young boy Mm -hmm. where you're obviously old enough to accept the 
extremely you know copious violence uh, yeah. running throughout most of his films and the uh, you know intense language the all of it so I, I do think I watched Kill Bill Volume 1 at the perfect age, which is 12 years old. Um, ah! At that same time, I was getting into CSI, so I was watching a lot of Spike, which is where I think it tended to air. But Spike. I also... Spike. Spike Channel. And Does Spike still exist? I believe they changed the name. I could be mistaken, but I think it's the Paramount Network now. <gasps> oh. And that's where they air Yellowstone, Yo. the acclaimed hit. Oh. <laughs> and now the, what, prequel series? Right. 18, and all whatever. of those offshoots 1973 1824 i'm just saying numbers but i feel like kill the volume one was either at the top or the bottom of every csi marathon so i would always catch the very beginning or the very end it would also be on tbs a lot and so yeah i have a lot of these very distended memories of you know boyhood um parents calling me to the car because we were going to go to outback steakhouse or something (laughs) like that but i just i had to catch you know the house of the uh blue leaves uh you know the battle sequence yes yes most definitely what the first time you saw it were you completely alone were you with somebody else or i think maybe my parents were in the room i did watch a lot of syndicated tv in the living room but Mm -hmm. then I think my parents made a fatal mistake when I was in um, middle school. I came back from summer camp and they had installed a TV in my room and that oh, that was the end. Yep. Yeah. So. I, I always asked for a TV in my room and my mom was like, no, not because we can't afford it, but because then I'll never see you again. She was like, we should be watching TV as a family. And she's right. <laughs> she she made the right call. I My parents never saw me again. It was I was lost. Yeah. A self-imposed latchkey kid, I guess you could say. Did your... So your parents were cool with you watching this kind of movie at 12? Like they knew you were watching it and they're like, yeah, whatever. Oh, yeah. I think my mom uh, has a real affinity for horror movies and she wanted me to get into them as quickly as possible. Mm. So uh, I I feel like it might have started around this time or at least around the time Kill Bill was in theaters because they really wanted to see Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, mm-hmm. in theaters. Mm-hmm. That was like the big Christmas movie of 2003. So I think I would have been eight at that point and I was watching... You know, all the orc death, and I was just enwrapped because Lord of the Rings is an amazing yeah. film trilogy. Um, but it didn't, yeah, phase me. So I was certainly desensitized from a young age. Wow. Okay. That's that's amazing. We had very different childhoods. I was a very squeamish <laughs> child. I would not have been able to handle this film. Fair enough. So you've been watching it pretty much since you were 12. If you had to, like, guesstimate how many times you saw it. The limit does not exist, you know? <laughs> I would say probably all the way through, I've seen it a good seven or eight times, seen chunks and pieces of it, dozens more. Mm -hmm. And um, I I think I picked this one in part because watching it on TV is such a different experience from watching what I think of as the actual film, where it's not sliced and diced into a million more sanitized pieces. Yeah. So I think I've seen the film proper about three or four times. Okay. I I was going to ask, do you know if they... They had to have edited it for television, right? Yeah, and I I did a little research because I was curious. I remembered these little factoids that I thought couldn't possibly be true because they were so absurd. But with TV editing, they're so particular about, you know, just the limit of what you're allowed to show Mm -hmm. and and say on TV, even at 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. at night. So I remembered I had this vision of the pussy wagon in the film, which, you know, is emblazoned with pussy wagon. Mm -hmm. And... I thought it had said party wagon. They had edited it, photoshopped it to say party wagon. And I was right. And I found a photo on Reddit that says party wagon. And it is a little cheesy, but I think they pull it off specifically because um, 
with the Buck character in the hospital, who's yeah. particularly abusive to the bride character, um, his famous line is, my name is Buck and I like to fuck. Mm-hmm. For the TV edit, it's my name is Buck and I like to party. <gasps> so it kind of works that it's the party wagon. That's pretty good. Honestly, the Photoshop isn't bad. For mid-2000s, that's... Right party wagon wow you can absolutely look this up if you're curious it's on google it's on reddit it's you know the bride looking at the the famed vehicle and it says party wagon oh my god you gotta give them points though because um i've I've heard this people like other film podcasts talking about mid-2000s editing and changing fuck to like boff yeah or like boink and stuff (laughs) and so god bless for them changing it to party because at least it wasn't like boff wagon (laughs) yeah that would have been bad i'm buck and i like to boink freak yeah Yeah. something corny yeah i think my personal favorite is snakes on a plane uh the famous line i've had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane has been changed to i've had it with these monkey fighting snakes on this monday to friday plane (laughs) i will never forget that i'll be on my deathbed and remember that that's beautiful i love that it's poetry So you did a rewatch of this movie, basically, and I watched it for the first time. I had never seen it. Exciting. Yes. I literally watched it like two hours before you got here because I tried to watch Karate Kid last night. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Whose fault was that? (laughs) So when's when's the last time I guess you watched it before this rewatch? I think with a new release of a Quentin Tarantino film, it's kind of in the air. It's almost like a franchise movie where if a sequel's coming out, you want to watch all of the films that came before it to kind of get a refresher. So I pick and choose with my QT movies whenever there's a new one, but um, I always go back to my favorites. And I think the two Kill Bill films are probably my favorite of his. So definitely watched it, the last uh, Tarantino film, which would have been Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah. Do you feel about the same about this movie that you did, what, what was that, like three years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think... You know, people go up and down with Tarantino. He's an auteur, but uh, people have their understandable hangups with him. Um, I certainly don't love all of his films, but I think I respect a, an artist or the idea of an auteur who has a very distinctive footprint. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I've kind of taken the good with the bad, particularly with Kill Bill Volume 1. There's so many stories that have come out since. Obviously, Harvey Weinstein is a producer, which is intensely uncomfortable to mm-hmm. consider. Um, when Uma Thurma did a uh, very large um, profile for the New York Times in the Me Too movement, the height of it, she talked a little bit about her experiences making the films. And there was one scene where Tarantino was pushing her to such an extent um, to drive a, a vehicle faster that um, there's footage, there's dailies of her getting into a car accident, which could have been fatal. It looks brutal when you watch back that footage. And I think most people should be of the opinion that no film is worth injury or death god Mm -hmm. forbid i don't know where to stand on it ultimately you're bringing a lot of childhood nostalgia into it um it's i think still a brilliant work of art so um being able to extricate that from the ways in which it was produced Mm -hmm. um is important if you're going to still appreciate it but i think if you have the ability to kind of extricate that from your mind it's a wild ride and it's still a lot of fun totally totally if you Number one, is this movie in like your top 100 of all time? Gun to your head. <clears throat> it depends on if I can count part one and part two as like one piece. <sighs> Am I gonna allow that? <clears throat> I think I like part one uh, uh, quite a bit better. Mm-hmm. So I think it would rank, um, if not part two, probably in like the 50s or 60s. Okay. Because I tend not to be such a boy these days. Um, you know, like I said, I watched Kill Bill at 
the perfect age to watch it, which is, you know, teenage boy who mm-hmm. loves blood and guts and thinks it's so cool and edgy. Mm-hmm. Um, and thinks the bride is just the most badass character. So um, I still have a lot of affection, even as, you know, that genre and that style of filmmaking doesn't so much appeal to me anymore. So I would mm-hmm. say a solid 50 to 60 range. That's pretty firmly, that's firmly in it's there. It's entrenched. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. And then what are your other, like, Quentin hot takes? I don't know. Like, if you had to put one Ooh. beneath the Kill Bill franchise, mm-hmm. what film would it be that's, like, your next favorite? That's such a good question. And it's so tempting to say Pulp Fiction because it's, you know, kind of, I think his masterpiece or the one he's most famous for. It's certainly the one that got closest to winning Best Picture, which would have been crazy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a hot take, but I have so much affection for Jackie Brown. I think all of the performances in that film are extremely mature for a Quentin Tarantino film. The script is extremely sharp. You get the sense that this is the film he was working up towards. Like every film that came before, whether it's something he directed like Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction or it's... Uh, you know, another director's uh, work like Natural Born Killers or True Romance, Jackie Brown feels like we've reached the zenith of of his style and his trademarks. Completely. I have not seen Jackie Brown. It's been sitting on my HBO watch list for three years. <laughs> and that's okay, because you have recommended Dangerous Liaisons to me at least three times. I know that's a film I need to cross off of my watch list sooner rather than later, so... No one's perfect. (laughs) I was about to say, actually, like, I was, while I was watching this movie, I was like, I think I realized I've never really, I haven't seen a lot of Uma Thurman movies. And this is like her movie. I've seen Pulp Fiction. She's in Dangerous Liaisons. (gasps) Yeah. As like a youngin. And then the biggest movie I associate her with is the movie of the producers, which is so embarrassing. I don't think it's embarrassing. It's like not a great film, but I I love it dearly. And she sings and dances in it. She has a lot of fun in it. Yeah, she does. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love her. And now her progeny, Maya Hawk, is a hot new thing. I think that's definitely something that factors into my ability to appreciate Kill Bill is that Uma Thurman can speak quite candidly about how harrowing certain aspects of filming the Kill Bill movies were. But at the same time, you know, her daughter is working with Tarantino in 2019. So that was obviously a conversation that happened within the family. And ultimately, I think if she can, you know, accept that this is a person who pushes his cast and crew to the limit to achieve a certain, um, you know, mise-en-scene, then who am I to, I'm not going to be the one to say she's wrong to do that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the times that you have seen this on TV, if you had to pick a part that you're like, I've seen this specific scene a million times, what would it be? It's the battle. It's definitely the battle. I think... The like uh, final big one. Yes, the final climactic battle. Um, again, yeah, when you're watching it on TV, it's it's so sliced and diced, which really does such a tragic disservice to Sally Menka's incredible work. Um, rest in peace. She's just... Her editing is... is simply brilliant i think it's pitch perfect but once you see the bride kind of receive her hattori sword and we you know fly over to um japan and we get to meet the lucy Liu character proper it's just hypnotic to me at that point I'm, i'm so locked in i think part of watching films you know on tv on basic cable is you're switching between channels a lot of the time mm-hmm. i definitely when a commercial comes on and you're like well let's watch five minutes of the news and come back absolutely so if i knew kill bill was on i would probably flip back and forth in the earlier sections um particularly the that the anime section i don't remember a lot about it it must have been sliced and diced for tv it's mm-hmm. it's so gory and grisly but once yeah we get to the house i think 
I'm locked in. I'm, I'm really not even changing the channel for commercials. Did they show the arm chopping off on TV? It must have been severely edited. I okay. think I, I did look for the TV edit just to like try to you know, scan through certain clips and see just how different it looks from the DVD copy that I watch. Mm-hmm. But if I had to guess, it's the arm gets sliced and then all of the like blood and viscera that you see in the film proper is, is kind of excised for the TV cut. Okay. For those who haven't seen the film, which if you haven't, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> just saw it three hours ago. Um, if, for those of you who haven't seen the film, Lucy Liu's lawyer slash henchman? Yeah, assistant of yeah, sorts. Assistant, yeah, assistant um, gets her arm chopped off pretty much at the very beginning of that battle and is just screaming and writhing on the ground and blood is just spurting out of her shoulder. I That was, not that there weren't other shocking moments in the movie, but that was the one to me that felt the most, I don't want to say cartoonish in a bad way because I mean it in a good way. But like definitely fun, cartoonish. Yeah, yeah like yeah. in a fun, cool way. And that was the one part of the movie where I was like... <gasps> Like, I audibly gasped. (laughs) I was like, oh, like I covered my mouth. I was very surprised. Because, too, this this sword is like the strongest fucking sword, and it's cutting all the other swords, too. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I am really glad that you brought this film in, because I needed an excuse to watch it, because I am not a huge Tarantino fan. I don't usually find fight sequences to be very interesting, and so I feel like they have to be really fucking cool for me to care at all and this was like the perfect movie for that especially that final one i was like okay this is not so creative it's it's hitting all my buttons it's it's doing crazy shit yeah i definitely hear you that quentin tarantino is an acquired taste to put it mildly yeah do you have any like things about him that you're like "Mm, this stuff bothers me or truthfully it's the fans. Yeah. Um, I, I think so much of my film education has been a, a journey. You know, there are 101 kind of auteurs that you start with. I think my very first must have been, you know, Tim Burton, just being absolutely enchanted by things like Edward Scissorhands and, mm-hmm. you know, the first Batman. But at a certain point, you have to progress. You have to, you know, actually discover what your film tastes are, which is not to say that you can't still hold your first kind of director loves closely, but it seems like. Um, with a lot of people who purport to love cinema and love filmmaking kind of stopped very early on. And they they appreciate American auteurs like Quentin Tarantino or Paul Thomas Anderson, who are masters, but I feel like there's this inability to zero in on why those works resonate with you, the viewer. And it it feels very juvenile to me to say, I love Quentin Tarantino movies without extrapolating on on the greater themes or, you know, particular performers who are constantly in his films and, and how their performances are in conversation with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, it tends to boil down to just blood and guts are cool yeah. and girls are hot and scandalous. Yeah, yeah. Which can be frustrating and, yeah. you know, limiting. I'm not going to lie. I, I think I was expecting to dislike this movie more than I did because... I like Inglorious Bastards, and that's about as far as I go when it comes to Quentin Tarantino movies. And I, like you, I'm like, mad respect. You have a very distinct style. You clearly love movies. Like, mm-hmm. that's, I think, my biggest plus for him is that he actually seems to give a shit about movies, preserving film. You know, he's bought all these theaters out here and is showing movies in rep. So, like, he is a good man, unequivocally, in terms of film preservation and being a film fan. But I was really worried that 
I mean, I don't want to call this movie a rape revenge type thing, but it, it rides that line. And I was worried that it was going to feel very like objectifying and weird because it, it, it always rides a line. Like granted, all of the cool people in this movie are women, right? which is awesome. But I was like worried that it was going to be like, oh, and she's in a fucking bikini, like swinging a sword right, or whatever. Right. Or, or we have a bunch of sex scenes with her. She's overly sexualized. And she does look damn hot in that, you know, in the yellow getup. But it's still, it was surprisingly tasteful in terms of sexual content from what I feel like I've gotten from other Tarantino movies. So I was pleasantly surprised with the representation of women in this movie. I agree. And I think that's why this one in particular kind of holds a soft spot in my heart. Do you remember like the... Was this the first Tarantino movie you saw? Either this or maybe Pulp Fiction had been on TV once before, but this was definitely the first one that kind of locked me in. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of these movies are kind of good party movies to some extent. Like Totally. Because I have fond... I feel like part of why I like Inglorious Bastards is that I had a friend group in high school that would watch it a lot. Like I'm yeah. like every other weekend would watch Inglorious Bastards and it just became this thing that I associated with my cool older friends, you know? Mm-hmm. So I feel like his movies are definitely good vibe movies that that vibe can get crushed very easily when there's like a devastating emotional blow somewhere in the movie. <laughs> but other than that, <laughs> they're fun to have on. Kill Bill in particular, I think is very generous to the uh, stoner cinephile. Yeah. I have so many fond memories of copiously consuming marijuana and someone throwing on yeah kill bill and mm-hmm. it just works perfectly mm-hmm. i think that's why i appreciate quentin tarantino uh, his you know auteurist approach is that the fans might be 101 but he is very much a studied uh auteur very much a studied cinephile a lot of his references aren't songs you know needle drops in his films are tend to be obscure there's a famous story about kill bill that he had uh wanted this one particular song and the band had broken up it's from the 70s and the music supervisor had to essentially fly overseas and reunite the band so that they could agree to have the song in the film Mm -hmm. but then it is one of those party songs um that the band is playing in the house and it's perfect you know it's not an easy needle drop that you would have expected it's a very obscure song or at least it was before the film and I appreciate that he brings a very singular one-of-one kind of approach to the aesthetic. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of, I don't want to say a lost art. I don't want to be that person that's like, they don't make films the way they do. But at the same time, like one of my gripes with recent post-Moonrise Wes Anderson, because Wes Anderson used to be like my favorite director, still love him to death, but um, his soundtracks were always so banging. And I felt like the needle drops were always so specific. It was like you couldn't divorce the songs from the scenes you know it was it was so specific Rushmore specifically has like the best soundtrack ever and so I don't know this movie did remind me of like I don't want to say a bygone era because maybe films are still doing that but it's been a long time since I've seen a movie and been like that soundtrack was so good like every single drop was perfect you know or it feels like film soundtracks today our, our little first draft, you know, it's yeah. the exact first song you would think of if you're making a Vietnam War film. Of course, it's Creedence Clearwater Revival. Yep. If it's a hippie movie, it's, you know, uh, oh, what's that one? Stop. Hey, what's that sound? <laughs> Buffalo Springfield. Buffalo Springfield, that's I right. thought you were going to say, um, uh, go ask Alice. Oh, it, no, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, completely. Do you have like a, if you had to pick like a favorite 
performance in this movie. Like one of the actors that you just feel like popped off. And that can be Uma herself. But I think it is probably Uma yeah. herself. I think of one of my favorite Academy Award nominations, not to say that awards matter above all, but uh, I think of Sigourney Weaver's nomination for Best Actress for Aliens, mm. which is pitch perfect. I wish um, in the same way that we were able to acknowledge comedies more frequently in awards conversations, I wish... Um, action films with really strong characterization could be approached in the same way. I wish Charlize Theron could have been nominated for Fury Road, and I certainly wish Uma Thurman could have gotten some additional credit for The Bride, but I suppose you'll just have to settle for having created this, I think, iconic character. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If I had to pick one, frankly... Well, okay, I'm excited to see part two now. I will watch part two because when Daryl Hannah walked on at the screen... Oh, yeah. That needle drop well, when she's whistling, the too. Whistling. Oh. I certainly have whistle envy. And I, it might have... <laughs> you can't Kill whistle? Kill Bill might have been the genesis. I cannot whistle. <gasps> and I am deeply jealous of those That's who can. That's tragic. Oh, yeah. God. Okay. I'm sorry to bring up your um, trauma. Um, <laughs> I won't pick her for this movie because I'm sure she'll feature more in the second one and get, get some meteor screen time. She, I mean, she was great in the, like, five minutes she was on screen. But I think for me, it's gotta be lucy lou she like oh absolutely yeah the scene where it's talking about her backstory and how she came to power and she's in the meeting with the yakuza and she i love this too it felt so hackneyed to me but she was like and i'm gonna say this in english (laughs) yes i was like okay quentin okay (laughs) you're like needed to distinct that this was very important um but she beheads that guy for like doubting her rad and then I guess my favorite moments of like badass women are when they act overly feminine, but in a scary way. And so when she was like, if you have any concerns, just bring them up to me. Like, it's fine. I was like, "Ah, oh my God, that's like, that's my favorite thing. And honestly, that was another reason why I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like kill Bill, all these women walking around and fighting and being like overly masculine and brutish, which like not to bring gender into it, but I, I love when like feminine women get to use femininity to be evil that like tickles a very specific spot in my brain and so when lucy popped out that little sweet voice and was like don't fuck with me i was like (laughs) oh yay oh i love that it's so brutal yeah i'm certainly not the person to speak to um the feminist attributes or demerits of quentin tarantino there have been much more intelligent film theorists talking about it and writing about it than than me but what i will say i appreciate is that um vis-a-vis the arm severance that you mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. it kind of kicks off this brutal bloody extended sequence of yakuza dying left and right you know it's it's there's like 50 of them I believe 88 is the number. Oh my god, yeah, you're, you're right. It's an assault on the senses. It, it, it truly is overwhelming to watch um, in the most glorious way. But what I appreciate is the juxtaposition of the final fight between the bride and Lucy Liu's character. I think it's so understated, relatively speaking, mm-hmm. to that. Um, there's this level of respect between the women, and it doesn't feel exploitative insofar as you know they're being objectified or they're being treated as these hypersexual or hyperviolent masculine figures they are two warriors who have a respect for each other lucy lou insults <laughs> uma thurman's character the bride and she kind of gets one up on her and apologizes yeah. i think that's a really um powerful moment and it yeah. allows the film to kind of slow down and bask in in the gravity of this particular battle yeah most definitely i think now that you bring that up that might have been my favorite moment in the movie because i am a lover of 
slow films and sometimes when things go too fast it just feels like a malaise to me and so when they were able to slow it down and they both had moments of vulnerability because they had both just harmed each other like wounded each other and it was like "Uh oh fuck like I gotta recalculate all of this they're both not feeling as strong as they did at the beginning of the fight that one shot I always remember it of the water wheel kind of foregrounded (gasps) And it, it goes back to it a few times just because it's it's yeah. perfect in, in raising that tension. Yes. Of yes. who will win. You hear the little little clink as it falls back down. The, the bamboo shoot fills with water and then clinks down and lets it all out. Ooh, man. And then Lucy Liu serving Ray Liotta in Hannibal vibes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's, let's run down the gamut of films reference. The Producers 2005... <laughs> Hannibal 2001, what other cinematic classics can we pull up? <laughs> well, I did want to bring up, actually, like, I don't I don't traffic in this genre often, but um, a friend of mine, uh, like, a year ago did recommend the movie Lady Snowblood to me. Have you mm, seen that movie? I have not. It is very clearly, like, I don't know if he's said that that's an influence, but it very clearly feels like a reference. It's, it's a Japanese movie let me double check when it came out i don't want to fuck this up um shout out to my friend spencer peck for recommending that movie to me god bless him knows that i don't like movies like that and he was like you should check it out (laughs) (laughs) um but i still loved it um the violence it's lady snowblood japanese movie from 1973 Mm. and it is a revenge movie it's about a woman avenging her parents and she has her list of people that she methodically finds and everything. Definitely recommend. And that was another movie where I'm like, I don't normally like this kind of movie, but the cartoonish violence is so fun. There was a shot that, again, gagged me, where they're fighting with katanas and stuff, and she chops off this guy's hands while he's holding the katana, and it goes flying through the air with the hands still gripping it, like cut off at the wrist. It just goes like, through the air it looks like like mannequin hands or something but it was like yeah i i can't stop thinking about that that's chef's kiss yeah no that's that's cinema to me i it's also something i appreciate about kill bill volume one is there is a level of cartoonishness not just in the violence but in the everyday the more mundane scenes and scenarios um it's just it lends an air of humor to the proceedings i think of one of the final shots in the film which is the bride on a plane back to america to continue her quest (laughs) and she's writing out her kill list in big letters completely legible to anyone in the nearby area and on top of that her sword the hattori sword that is one of the most lethal weapons on the planet is just propped next to her on the on the seat in a post 2001 flight absolutely (laughs) It, they right. said, bring your katana. <laughs> right. It's hard to say, ascribe a particular time period to Tarantino films because they're so stylized. But <laughs> under the assumption that it's the present day, it is a little bananas. Oh my God. Yes. But you also imagine a scene where the bride walks up to the flight attendants or the, the people checking in at the terminal with the sword. Are you going to take it from her? <laughs> you don't fuck with her. Oh, that was something else too, because I illegally streamed this movie and um it's difficult to find yeah i can um i can give you the website that i seem to find every single movie on um after the fact don't come after me um r.i.p soap today yeah r.i.p i miss it and alexandria is burning it feels like (laughs) (laughs) you've heard of paris is burning now get ready get ready for this new documentary about 
Oh, the no longer tragic. heyday that was Soap, Soap Today. Oh, rest in peace. Um, and the scene, which we haven't talked about at all, the opening fight with Vivica A. Fox. Incredible cold open. Yeah, amazing. Really gets you like in the world. She says the bride's name and it's bleeped. Right. Yeah, I was like, did, did I get a bad stream or something for a second? And then <laughs> it, it repeats it later and it's bleeped again. But I thought that was such an interesting, cool, creative choice. Right, and not one a lot of filmmakers would even think to make. It's That's, again, what I appreciate about Tarantino bringing up very particular stylistic choice to literally every scene and line of dialogue. It can be over the top. It can be, you know, aggressive or confrontational to people, particularly in the cursing. Mm-hmm. But... I think if you can lock into that vibe, it's it's a great it's a it's a fun ride. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. There was nothing necessitating that choice because the whole rest of the movie nobody says her name and if they do they refer to her as the bride, so like whatever. So, it does feel I like that it was only done twice, so it just felt special. Like they didn't do mm. that throughout the whole movie. They just did it twice at the beginning. I thought that was a really cool choice. Also, when she pulls, puts the gun in the cereal box to shoot, and the name of the cereal is Kaboom. <laughs> yes. Oh my god! Yeah. I love Chef's Kiss. Yeah, I think sometimes that's where I struggle with movies like this, where I'm like, "Am I supposed to take this seriously?" Like sometimes I don't get what the tone's supposed to be, mm. but once I can lock in and be like, "All right, this is goofy." Going back to the kill list at the end, yeah, <laughs> giant yeah. letters. I was like, "Is she for fucking real?" You know what I mean. But as long as I'm like, "No, this was a choice. Like, this was not someone being serious that they thought that." Right, <laughs> that and maybe was, that's like... the difference, right, between a Tarantino fan or a Tarantino um, copycat and the man himself is being able to straddle that line of tone, um, being able to take aesthetics and have them not feel derivative or like pastiche yeah. um, but a vibe completely their own i think any angelino uh who's been to the new beverly which is one of the tarantino theaters mm-hmm. um or the ones owned by him and operated um in part by him will recognize that this film opens with the our free feature presentation title card yeah. that plays before every movie at the new beverly mm-hmm. yeah i i love that I love when people use that. I don't know if he was like responsible for bringing that back in the zeitgeist, but since I was like a teen, there have been other theaters I've gone to in Wisconsin that have used oh, cool. that our feature presentation before the movie. Um, I don't know if that was a... No, it wasn't CBS. I don't know if that's specifically tied to a network, but... I think you guys know what Stanley's talking about. The yeah, it's it's a classic. Speaking of syndicated channels, do you remember the numbers and how they pertained to each channel? Do I remember? Speak on. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Spike, I feel like was in the 30s for me. TBS was 31. Definitely interesting. And then the run that I could probably go for you was 44 onward, which was 44 was History Channel, 45 was Disney Channel, 46 was Animal Planet, 47 was Nickelodeon, 48 was Cartoon Network, 49 was ABC Family, now Freeform, 50 was TV Land, 51 I think was like Bravo or something. I don't remember what 52 was. 53 was Comedy Central, 54 was E. Mm. 57 was AMC and 58 was TCM. Wow. So that was like where I, that was Thank where you I for lived. That. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I've learned so much about you 
in a very abstract way. That's like a pro- the 608 area code. I don't know how they divide it up because it was always so right. weird. I, I'm hearing some correlation with mine. So for example, like AMC was right next to, you know, TV land and things like that. It, mm-hmm. For me, it was, yeah, TNT, TBS, FX, USA. Those were the 42 Ooh. through 45. Mm-hmm. AMC was 47, TV land game show network (gasps) and then you had the kids channels which were nickelodeon disney channel cartoon network abc family now freeform 50 to 53 Uh and i think spike would have been 63 so it was this weird discombobulated yeah spike always felt next to true tv in my mind i don't know when true tv began and ended. i think i think true tv is still around maybe i think so yeah mine was 64 okay (laughs) i feel like mine was somewhere in the 60s I remember there there were some channels like that that I really only gravitated to if there was a movie on because none of the programming, like I didn't watch any of, True TV felt like prank shows to me. Like mm-hmm. they would have Impractical Jokers on there and stuff. And yeah. then I don't even know what they showed on Spike, like American Ninja Warrior CSI. or something. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Lots. And also, uh, oh, what was that very silly show? A Thousand Ways to Die? <gasps> Just recapping all of the Darwin Award type oh, deaths that have occurred in this my world. God. Mostly, yeah, sophomoric deaths. Like, he got kicked in the ball so hard, he <laughs> exploded. Spike was a, a teen boy channel, oh my to God. be certain. I've only seen one episode of that show, and the two stories that were featured were girls playing chubby bunny at a sleepover and one choking on marshmallows and dying, <laughs> which is tragic. And the other one was two people who decided to have sex while wrapped in Christmas lights. And then they got electrocuted. In which yeah. some of these, I'm like, this is not. You Can got you the vibe of the this show. Case? You, like, yeah, you, you. <laughs> There's no way that this happened. Correct. Correct. <laughs> um, do you remember? I'm always curious. I don't remember any other channels doing something like this, but I always think about movie blocks in on certain channels. So like. E specifically would have movies we love. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Disney Channel kind of pioneered it with the Disney Channel original movie. True. Um, and I think there are some, you know, familiar marathons to people like Christmas Story for 24 hours, Godfather on Thanksgiving. Yes. Um, Harry Potter, any time of the year. Yeah. Seemingly. On <laughs> but, ABC Family. Correct. But I don't know. Yeah, it's, it is it is kind of cool that E would kind of commodify the idea of these aren't just movies we're playing because we have the rights. These are movies we love yeah and And it's always 27 dresses oh my god it's always 27 dresses 13 going on 30 sex in the city the movie (laughs) when i was home it was e movies we love burlesque and i was like correct that is a movie they love that's correct i love it too although sometimes there would be movies we love and i'm like you're fucking lying. Nobody loves this movie. <laughs> right, right. That's unequivocally untrue. Nobody loves this movie. Um, do you do you miss having cable? Here's what I miss, and this is getting very niche. My family had TiVo, which meant I could record movies and save them on the hard drive. Mm-hmm. So I would run through. I, I can't quite remember the technology, but they would have a listing of just A to Z films that were on TV for the next seven days. I guess it would scan through all of the channels and see. And so you would see a lot of the same repeats. You would see Kill Bill Volume 1. You would see Gladiator. You would see a lot of the greatest hits. And then sometimes, you know, at 2 a.m., AMC would air a movie that you had always meant to see, but, you know, your parents wouldn't rent it from Blockbuster for you or, you know, whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I feel like I saw so many films for the first time. And probably only time is I would watch the TV edited version the one time it came on at 4 Mm a.m. I think that's how I saw a lot of Tarantino films and how I filled out that roster is from Dusk Till Dawn playing on sci-fi at 11 p.m. on a random Thursday in October. 
Wow. It was very special. I love that because how old were you when this was kind of your vibe? The peak of that would have been, yeah, ages 12 through like 16. That is like very advanced for that age. Like knowing that you firmly like you want new experiences, you want to watch new movies, you're interested in in things that you've never seen and that are new to you because I, I didn't start doing that kind of shit until I lived at home after college really. Was mm. I like DVRing? They used to do like either late night noirs on TCM or they Ooh. would also do late night B movies sometimes. So That's I would, fun. Yeah. So I would like record The Tingler at like 1 a.m. and then watch it the next day. I love The Tingler. And I appreciate you saying all of that. I just wish that my film taste had been more advanced at that age. I wish I could have been the 12-year-old estate watching The Third Man. <laughs> Truthfully, <laughs> when I say... Do you want to be that insufferable as a preteen, though? Do you want to be... Kind of. I mean, I had the thick glasses at the time, <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> it would the shoe would have fit. But I know, in, in reality, me catching all of those films that played once included, you know, Army of Darkness and Brain Dead by Peter Jackson. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> very, very, very sophomoric teenage boy films. Uh-huh. Did you have, like, a favorite movie or favorite couple of movies that you remember from that age like when you were 12-ish which is when you said you saw this movie for the first time did you have like a favorite movie or a couple of movies that you went back to a lot I think about this in terms of the narrative of our film lives Mm -hmm. because I wish it would be so easy as I saw Black Swan in 2010 and it changed my life and it was (laughs) my favorite movie and it always had been but that's not really the truth the truth is that I was such a fanboy of of horror um so and really just any film that had kind of obscene violence. So a lot of the Friday the 13th sequels, mm-hmm. the Halloween sequels, they're very canonical to me, even as I've grown up and recognized that most of them are not very good. You know, especially <laughs> with something like Saw, I think I get particularly raked over the coals for knowing the lore of the Saw franchise to mm-hmm. an extremely obscenely unhealthy degree. Mm-hmm. But those were the ones I would always want to put on is, is slashers because they're very formulaic, they're very simple, and they follow a pattern. So it's almost like listening to pop music. You know, you're filling your mind with these rhythms, these formulas that just release the serotonin right away. Were you, were you ever scared of a movie as a kid? <laughs> I was scared. I think the first horror movie that I ever watched was The Ring. My parents got Netflix with the red envelopes back oh in the day. God. And I have a you know, flashbulb memory of the illicit mission of sneaking the slipcase for the ring up to my room, playing it on, you know, my very first laptop and like sliding it into the DVD drive. And, and watching it alone. Yeah, yeah. I it was in my closet. We don't have to read too deeply into that metaphor. <laughs> but it was, I, I think I just wanted it very, very dark. And <laughs> it, Happy Pride Month. We're recording this in June. Happy Pride. I just sat in that corner and you could have probably convinced me that my eyes had like melted out of my face i was so terrified but from then on i just i wanted to chase that thrill oh my god did you have like trouble sleeping after it or were you just like that was scary but i'm living my life now well i had trouble sleeping but not from horror movies um i suffered from insomnia in high school but (laughs) that was my own doing you know that is amazing i was always such a fraidy cat as a kid and like i i just went to disneyland with a friend of mine and we went on Haunted Mansion and we ended up being next to this little girl who was like three or four going on Haunted Mansion. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I was like, uh-oh, like this, in the in the ride lead up, you know, the room and the all this. woman. Yeah, right. all the scary stuff. She looked kind of scared. She was like plugging her ears. And then as we were doing the ride, I was like, we're going to get off this and she's going to be fucking screaming. She got off and she was like, that was fun. I was like, how are children? 
I love it. I was so, I would have been <laughs> screaming. Oh my God. A little girl after my own heart. Yeah. I think that's what I appreciate about horror movies above all and why I try to, you know, convert people to appreciating horror movies, um, particularly more artistic ones. I think we both have a mutual love and respect for Jonathan Demme's 1993 masterpiece, The Silence of the Lambs. Oh, of course. But I think horror movies unlock an emotion that you don't get to feel a lot outside of, you know, roller coasters and theme parks is just thrill your blood pumping without any actual danger Mm -hmm. um if you can kind of mentally prep yourself and and be brave enough to entertain that experience i think there's a lot of joy to be found in it oddly Mm -hmm. i have the feeling that this answer is going to be no but has there ever been a movie that you've seen that you're like i wish i didn't watch that yes but not in so far as it upset me like i was traumatized i Mm -hmm. think i am somewhat of a snob in terms of you sh- how dare you make this film this oh, film is obscene so you're razzy people I, not even razzies i think of, of films that i find reprehensible detestable oh. you know and that's i think where i have to be very particular in my love of quentin tarantino a lot of people think his films glorify violence against women and there's mm-hmm. certainly a case to be made for that but i've also seen you know a serbian film i you know <laughs> i was i was gonna bring that up that's always one i cite is like i'm never gonna watch that movie right exactly um even irreversible which you can also say has artistic merit but you can also say is is just unbelievably crass the the mission of that film mm-hmm. um i tend to think of films like that where i i think that was traumatic and i don't know if it was necessary yeah yeah is there a movie like that that you haven't seen yet and that you feel like, Ugh, I, I don't want to see this. You know, I've always been curious about Salo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weirdly, not a film they played edited for TV. <laughs> not a film you had to record on your TV. it would be two minutes long. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be them entering the fucking castle or whatever happens and fade to black. Correct. Directed by, what, Maybe, Mussolini? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Caligula. Oh, okay. Love me some Malcolm McDowell. Mm-hmm. Kookiness. Yeah. yeah. I have not seen either of those. Solo is always one that I cite that I'm like, I'm never going to watch that movie just because I know it won't be good enough to justify whatever like sadness or disgust I'm going to feel from it because it's also just like not my genre at from the beginning of it. Totally. Like I think if I were more into fucked up absurdism type stuff, then maybe I would be tempted. But as for right now, I don't know. My my mom has always like cautioned me against like there's some things you can't unsee, which she always cites when she talks about the movie, the cook, the thief, the wife and her lover. Yes. So she's like, I saw that movie in theaters and I couldn't stop thinking about it for a month and I couldn't sleep, blah, blah, blah. And she tried to use that to get me to not watch the movie Sweeney Todd when I was was a kid, Um, which are two drastically different movies. But yeah, I'm always... I don't want to say jealous of people that can handle stuff like that, but it'd be nice to be like, yeah, I'll watch any movie. I don't care. You know? I struggle with slow cinema a lot of the time, quite mm-hmm. honestly. Um, yeah. And there are certain directors who direct slow cinema films and they say it's perfectly fine to fall asleep in in their films. You know, it's it's about locking in to that, that vibe. And I don't know. I, I want to stay awake. I want to be focused and Mm -hmm. and when i'm i'm struggling to pay attention because it's very banal images i admit you know i i try to be an open-minded person about cinema in particular but i struggle with movies that want you to kind of slow down and have this very un-american very dare i say yeah like exotic um approach to just the act of watching a movie yeah i i want to use the word inefficient too because i Mm. think that's sometimes where 
extremely slow. I struggle with two. I haven't seen John Dealman. I know I need to, but I always think of 2001, frankly, as a very slow moving movie. And mm. it stresses me out. And that maybe that's my American brain being like, there's other things I could be doing right now. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, back to Kill Bill. Um, do you have like a least favorite part or performance or that something part of it you're just not thrilled with? You're like, eh. I guess by virtue of the fact that I don't remember too much about the anime sequence and when I return to the film, I think, oh, right. This is like a lot longer than I remember. Yeah. Um, that is a segment that is, again, so cartoonishly violent, literally cartoonishly violent. But yeah, it becomes a desensitizing experience in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're watching the climactic battle, you can appreciate the choreography, sort of the ballet of the movement, um, and just how much work must have gone into the set design, the art direction, the blocking of the camera. Every single element is in concert. When I'm watching the animated segments, I can appreciate the thought behind the animation um, on a frame-by-frame basis, but I become so overwhelmed by the sheer copious amount of, of violence that yeah. I kind of lose lose track for a bit. Yeah, I actually felt the exact same way. I would put that as my point in the movie where I was like, eh, I'm not like enthralled with this part of it. And frankly, I don't want to say it felt a little hacky to me. I guess it was more that I felt like it went on for too long, mm. and it felt to me that I was like, okay, clearly you just want to tell her story. Like, I'm almost like, we'll make this its own movie. Like, you seem very enthralled with this character and her origins, so just, like, do a prequel movie because you sure. you really seem to want to tell the whole story. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you have a an actor in this that you're like, eh, about? Or somebody that you're like, maybe they should have cast that differently? No? Question mark? I think everyone is, is kind of serving their role. Um, y- you tend to leap towards the hospital workers just because those roles are so vile Mm -hmm. but i think even those guys kind of bring a with all due respect to the actors a slovenliness to the (laughs) roles um they they seem like real dirtbags yeah um so i find yeah the whole of the world extremely authentic yeah um even as a lot of the performers and performances are very heightened Uh um and you know not necessarily acting school trained yeah. and, and studied yeah they know the tone that they're existing in they don't exactly. need to you know they understood the assignment they did i i feel the same way there was nobody that i was like you feel out of place if anything this is less like least favorite actor and more oh i wish the movies were structured differently which is i'm sad that vivica a fox is like dead oh yeah yeah like pretty much everybody else it felt like we got a good amount of time with lucy Liu. she is now dead and then daryl hannah we get to see her in the second one we haven't really seen bill yet or any of the other people and i'm kind of like vivica was so cool and we only got to see her for like 10 minutes highly cool yeah well do you have any other parting thoughts about this movie at all mostly that i yeah feel very lucky to have now seen it several times unedited Mm -hmm. um i appreciate having been introduced to it via cable tv because i think this is a film that lends itself particularly well to basic cable in that there are chapters um that are very you know cleanly segmented so you can always pop in and pop out i appreciate the film for being a very formative you know intro to why i love movies um kind of piece while also acknowledging that um, certain elements of it haven't aged as as gracefully as other Tarantino films, but mm-hmm. I'm yeah very grateful 
that it's been a part of my life, yeah. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. On the whole, though, I, I got to say, I do feel like it's mostly aged pretty well. I mean... Artistically, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Especially compared to some of his other movies, I feel like this is one that's going to last the ages. It makes you miss blockbusters having a real moment um there are certain images and and stylistic choices in this that are so inextricable from the culture the red sirens and the yes that's you know i can't hear that tame impala song without yes without hearing those kill bill sirens so um yeah i i miss when films really took a swing um not to say they don't make them like they used to but uh, they definitely don't make them as often as they used to that's right like this like i think we can all categorically say that that's the truth well, this is not to say that we won't like have you on again because maybe you'll talk about one of these other movies, but I'm curious what your other options were for movies that you've seen a million times because they were on TV. I was tempted to pick something like Harry Potter, a Harry Potter film, because uh-huh. those marathons, I think, are part and parcel with my generation's lived experience of, of television and what it used to be. Yeah. You know, even coming back from college and, and watching TV again for the first time in six months, not on a computer not on a streamer yeah and and seeing harry potter mm-hmm. weirdly um if you had to pick one of those which one of you i would... think sorcerers okay. i think sorcerers kind of always leapt out especially because they'd play it at christmas for the yeah. cloak scene mm-hmm. um i watched a lot of gladiator because that was one of my mom's favorite movies i think something you'll notice in this series is <laughs> the films your parents like to rewatch yeah. ad nauseum the day after tomorrow is another big one Ooh, yeah for my mom especially yeah so. definitely the differences between our parents are Absolutely. insane because yeah. I'm thinking about <laughs> movies like that that were TV movies with my parents specifically because of my parents and two of the big ones were Steel Magnolias beautiful, and Terms of Endearment and they were both because of my father. He was like, these are beautiful films if they were ever on TV. Your father is a king. He is. He is. This is kind of a wild card question, but if... There's like a recent movie. If if syndication was a thing in the way that it used to be where kids would be discovering movies on cable in syndication, what's like a recent movie that you think would make a good? No question, 2018's Widows, directed <gasps> by Steve McQueen. I have such a visceral memory because I it was one of the films that came out in the first year or so that I had lived in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, the advent of the AMC A-list changed my life. I was going to the movies every week and kind of still do. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember going into that film, being excited that it was a Steve McQueen film, thinking it might be a little more um, highbrow, I guess. And what I walked away from that film feeling like was, oh, this should be on TNT at 2 p.m. every single Saturday. <laughs> every single performer in that film, from Viola Davis to Michelle Rodriguez to Elizabeth Debicki to Liam Neeson, every single person is firing on all cylinders to tell a very canonically TNT story. This is chock like I I feel crazy that I've never heard of this movie, but God is a chock full of people. Cynthia Erivo, Colin Farrell, Great. Brian Tyree Great. Henry, Amazing. Daniel Kaluuya, Robert Duvall, and Liam Neeson. It is a stacked cast. It is still highbrow. I am not by any means disparaging the brilliant Steve McQueen. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot that the film has to say about um, Chicago and poverty and um, sort of the difference in experiencing a city based on your class. But man, is it fun! Man, it's a rip-roaring ride. And it's unfortunate that it's a 20th Century Fox film at a time when they had just been kind of bought by Disney and there was a lot of question of what was going to happen to the films they had already produced, were in development, kind of what was on their slate, what was left. 
and this is a film that I think was kind of released in theaters on a whim and, and forgotten or ignored um, for that reason. And it it's, has a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. And it deserves it. Ooh. It's it's a phenomenal film. Okay, and very watchable. Adding this to my watch list on Letterboxd. Amazing. Um, before we say goodbye, and um, do you have anything to plug? You can plug your Letterboxd or anything you're working on. Well, you can find me on most social medias at Stan Swin Film. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd that way. But I also have a Substack that I publish newsletters week to week called I Could Care Less. And you can find that at icouldcareless.substack.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for being my first guest. This was so much fun. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. You'll be back on at some point to talk about Gladiator or Harry Potter or something. Cheers to that. (laughs) I couldn't be more excited. To Quentin. Cheers to Quentin. Cheers to Quentin. (laughs) (laughs) You too.